0: Local programming on KRWG, made possible in part by viewers
1: like you. Thank you. Continued a conversation about a changing America, and with a changing America comes, well, new media, also new shows, new theater productions, and this time around we're going to be talking about precisely that. As America has been changing, so have some of the big issues, and we've been talking about some of these issues here on Fronteras. This time around we're going to be talking about how those issues are now beginning to make their way onto theater from folks from all across the nation including areas like the El Paso Las Cruces area Uh, we have one of the individuals that is now making her way onto the big bright lights joining us today we have actress director playwright Adriana Lopez Villarreal joining us who in studio all the way from Philadelphia Pennsylvania because that is where her most recent show Vivir Mejor based on the very community of El Paso Las Cruces Ciudad Juarez has just completed its run in the Kaplan Theater on Broad Street, and so it's, it's a very big pleasure to have you, Adri. It is, um, you know, I, I've been kind of following you and, and seeing everywhere you've kind of been. You have, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've, you've kind of had a really neat, a, a really neat run as of late. You uh, were in Nine Parts of Desire, as well as Polaroid stories. Uh, You are now recently uh, been named one of the headliners for the House of Bernarda Alba Mm -hmm. um, as an actress. And then your first big playwright directorial debut (laughs) on Broad Street in Philadelphia on a story based on this very community. That's right. How did that feel? Oh my gosh, Uh,
0: amazing. Words cannot even explain um, the huge story that I wanted to tell and like the huge project and the huge process and how everything was just coming together. And you know, in between all of it, the hardships, the challenges and how are you going to meet them? And it was, it was exactly, exactly that. It was my debut. So I was, it was my first mark, if you will, embarking onto a professional as, career. As, a playwright
1: and, as and, a playwright and director.
0: And as a director,
1: yes. Because you, you've had several shows. In fact, the Philadelphia Inquirer, <laughs> uh, Named you, gave you a pretty interesting compliment. Uh, in in one of the the shows that that you um, were were part of the cast, yeah, um, was you you played a particular a very particular role in Polaroid Stories, mm-hmm. um, and the Philadelphia Inquirer called you as dangerous yet as fragile as a glass pipe.
0: And so was my costume.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll, we'll describe that for the audience a little bit. What were you playing? What was Polaroid Stories all about? Because this was, I guess, the lead up to your directorial and, and playwright debut. But yeah. this was your beginning as, as in terms of acting in, in the Northeast.
0: Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, okay, so we did Polaroid Stories, which is uh, something was written in 1992 by Nina Zuka. And the play is a modern adaptation, or urban rather, an urban adaptation of the mythological story of Eurydice. And mm-hmm. I played Persephone, who's the queen of the underworld. And. Um, the queen of the underworld? Yeah, she kind was intense car. and <laughs> completely opposite to who I am. I'm really goofy and quirky and incredibly clumsy. And she's like. <laughs> Hardcore and rocker lady. Fan so like, take
1: on this persona.
0: Yeah, in yeah. eight inch stiletto heels, which was hardcore. Wow. Um, and, and doing that role was, I think, it really was my induction and in my dip into what I love to do, which is to tell a story uh-huh. and to completely be able to become enthralled with an entire environment that you stage and that you make in a particular space. And the greatest thing about the Kaplan, which is where Polaroid Stories was also done
1: the Kaplan Theater.
0: The Kaplan Theater, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, is that it's interchangeable? So it can it's it's t- it's basically a rectangle, but you can put seating any which way you want. So we had what's called like environmental seating. So mm-hmm. we were right up there, close and personal with the audience. And to play her was an incredible challenge. And I think the the beautiful thing about playing different characters is that they open you up to parts of yourself that you don't even know exist yet. And with her, it was definitely that she was really hardcore, but she had a lot of vulnerabilities that she was masking. So that was, that was interesting to portray on stage. And it was my first time working with a professional actor opposite of him, uh, Mr. Russ Whittle, who was incredibly patient and I'm forever thankful to him for doing that with me.
1: So these, these shows you did, Nine Parts of Desire, Polaroid Stories. um, You were also cast in a series of cabaret shows, which kind of like our musical showcases. Yeah. What led you to have this kind of interest? I mean, you're you're born and raised (laughs) in El Paso. Yes. Uh, What what led you there?
0: Well, it's kind of interesting. I I started out in speech and debate at Loretto Academy. Speech and debate. Speech and debate. Huge debate geek, loved it. I I was enthralled with extemporaneous speaking and and just um, being really up to date with current events. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was really what was my hook for, for speech and debate. But through that, I was always interested in music and stage and performances, but being in this particular area, well, I wasn't really too keen nor open on what the possibilities were for pursuing studies in those areas, for pursuing a career in that area. Right. So I did a complete 360 my junior year of high school. I was like on my path to like wanting to study political science. And then I became the director of a show choir and I did two shows at Loretto and I fell in love with it. And I said, this is what I want to do. So I started looking for schools and universities that allowed me to pursue that. and. Ideally, at first, it was performance. I just wanted to do performance. But I didn't realize how many things you could actually do. And then I found out about the University of the Arts. And I am getting my degree and going to finish in May of directing, playwriting, and production.
1: So you're not even done with your studies. I'm not even done. And, and you've already been on a series of shows. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's great. I mean, you should feel... I don't know. How do you feel? I. I,
0: I, I feel feel accomplished, but I feel like I have so much more that I had to learn and that I want to do. I think that going to school and going to U-Arts and doing that there and doing these shows that you've been talking about was my dip into um, really what I want to do. I just did my first show in the Philly French Festival where, where um was independent from like a bigger system, so it was just a couple of us getting together and doing something great. And I did a Leon, so I... <laughs> I played Candy, and Candy was like funny and hilarious. But i
1: So it's another show that I didn't even mention. Yeah, on in the Philadelphia Fringe Festival, it
0: was part of the Philly Fringe, and so was um, so was Polaroid Stories. But I think I, I'm incredibly proud and very humbled by doing this kind of these these kinds of things. As
1: as a young girl in El Paso, Loretto <laughs> Academy, with with all of the you know kind of fears and and, and excitement that you experience in high school. Did, did, Ever in your wildest dreams, did you picture yourself here? I mean, what was that? What was your whole process, like, getting there? Did you think you'd make it? I mean, did you?
0: Um, I was always scared. Um, Insecure, mostly. Um, When I I always wanted, I always wanted to to have the possibility to leave El Paso, but always with the dream of coming back here. Um, It's, this is my community, this is where I'm from, and it is very much influential to my work and to what I do regardless of where the character that I end up portraying on stage is from or whichever play that I end up working on there's always laces of of things that the cultura de familia of el paso mm-hmm. and i um i think that as long as i have these stories that i want to tell from this area and as long as i have just things that i want the world to know mm-hmm. that i I've been able to overcome the insecurities, and I've been able to push forward, but never did I dream um, that it would take me so far away from home, one, <laughs> because Philly's far. Yeah. I mean, five hours in a plane, it's far. Yeah. Um, but
1: And in the layovers. I'm and sure. the
0: layovers. <laughs> so it's like an entire day of traveling, but, but it has been, like, doing Vivir Mejor was it, it was a dream come true in well, so many ways l- and beyond that. T-
1: let's talk about that a little bit. You, we've talked about you know kind of your all the shows that you've been in as an actress. Um, heard a lot about, and which was the reason that I thought I would invite you onto the show. Heard a lot about de Mejor*. Had the opportunity to actually fly to Philadelphia, see the show myself. Uh, show brought me to tears. A little bit a, of the
0: behind the scenes. Yeah, too. I got to
1: see a little bit of the behind the scenes. Show brought the show brings me to tears because. As I was mentioning to the audience at home uh, when we began the show, um, you bring a different subject matter to big-time theater. I mean, you're in Philadelphia, arguably one of the biggest markets for theater. I mean, next to maybe a New York and a a Chicago comes a Philadelphia. Um, You talk about a subject matter that that is so near and dear to all of us. Yeah. the fact that we're dealing with issues in our community that are unlike any issues that have ever been dealt with before in our nation. Um, The the, the cultural kind of situation that we're facing with having one of the world's most violent cities to our south, uh, yet one of the safest cities in America uh, immediately to the north. Strange
0: paradox, yeah.
1: Tell me about your process. What took you there? What made you? You talk about loving home. I mean, you wrote a very powerful piece mm-hmm. that's now getting a lot of a lot of reviews from a lot of people. That that many people are even asking you to travel the show to to other places. But tell me about the show and and your process and getting there.
0: Wow. Um, okay. So when when discussing your when, once you're approaching your senior year they ask you to, to formulate your senior thesis. And typically the, the traditional way of doing it is you pick a show that's already published, that's already done, and you spend an entire year analyzing that particular play and then putting it up into production for a weekend. Um, and while I was looking for plays and plays and plays and reading as much as I could, I could never focus and never concentrate because of the issues that were going on here in El Paso and in Juarez and Las Cruces. Um, and it always brought me back home. And I would I would get so frustrated, I'd throw plays at the wall, and my roommates were like yelling and asking me what was going on, and I just <laughs> couldn't focus on anything other than what was going on, what the families are going through, what our families were going through. Um,
1: what specifically were you thinking about? What, what when we, I, I kind of left it open-ended for the audience, but what what issues were you talking about specifically, or were going through your mind
0: specifically? Um, well, well, for me, it was, uh, the, the extortion issues of, of families in Juarez of, of families that had sent, that had set up years and years of businesses and from one day to the next had to close them down in an effort to protect their family to protect their own and then in a lot of cases leave the place that they have made an entire family, generations of families. Right. And I, um, and I couldn't I couldn't shake that feeling of, of why it was happening to a place that I find breathtakingly beautiful i right. think that our area has so much to offer and has especially like growing up on both sides of the border it's a very particular upbringing and mm-hmm. you you become more aware of that once you go to other places like philadelphia where people don't get yeah i can cross a bridge that's literally five minutes and you're in <laughs> another country i'm on the freeway and a country's to my left and i'm on the u.s on the right
1: um <laughs> you're right they really, really they, understand they don't that. get it yeah, yeah yeah so
0: i just i i couldn't i couldn't shake that i couldn't shake the the fears my myself like of of how it will how it will affect my own family and how it was affecting my own family and how holidays were beginning to change and typically we would have 35 45 people together for families and then it became each family to their own and mm-hmm. and that was incredibly affecting and i could not concentrate mm-hmm. so um i started talking to my teachers and my professors and very much A la Adri, i'm always breaking rules <laughs> um i i um I started talking to them about the possibility of developing my own piece, which is always tricky in a school environment and, and always tricky to present to your professors because they always want you to do well. And and to do a developmental piece, you always run the risk of it being a huge flop. They're like, what you flop.
1: You should do something that's tried to true and test it.
0: Exactly. Like Stick they, to Shakespeare. Th- they wanted something, yeah, that was, that was proved to be a, a success and that could showcase the kind of work and development that I had had grown through for three years so I understood where they were coming from but I I could not shake this they like would give me play after play but they weren't getting at the issue that I wanted to get to I got lots of plays and and playwrights about immigration and about the illegal issue and and yes though important it was not my issue it was not something that was for me
1: let me ask you a question about that because I, I know we've we've had conversations off air where you have mentioned precisely that that when you're in the east coast you feel that there's that there's some sort of kind of stereotype that they're trying to put the Latino, Hispano community into and that you kind of wanted to break that mold.
0: Claro, absolutely, yes. Um, unfortunately and unfortunately, we're in an area in the Northeast where there's so many cultures and there's so many different kinds of people that it's it's easier almost for people to compartmentalize and to stereotype and to fall into the, what, what media or what, like years of trajectory have shown these peoples to be, and they're not. And and for them, like it was it was very interesting for a lot of my classmates and even for my teachers to see a like completed Latina who is almost six feet tall. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty rare up there. Um, but for me, the issue has never been, and we've talked about this before. It's never been where I'm like, I am a Latina artist and I am doing this for my people. It's never been that. It's it's been more of. Um, of a marriage, of, of bringing together what I've learned and bringing my tradition, my family and how I've grown into the kind of work I love to do. Um, and theater allows that, theater theater has no boundaries, theater has no walls, like literally you can put up a play outside and and people can relate to that. And that's why even though these these stereotypes and these things exist and I'm constantly like Not constantly, but I am trying to break away from them. What's, What's more overwhelming is that you always have people on your side who are willing and wanting to tell a story with you, regardless of where you're from. So if you have a story that you're passionate about, which I very much was with this particular issue, you will always have people to back you up, which is what started me onto my route with developing this piece. I, I expressed a lot of passion to my teachers. I literally had to sit down in front of three of them and tell them, this is what I want to do. Let me explain it to you. I had to write an outline. I had to show them what I was planning to do, the kind of work I wanted to execute, the kind of research that I was willing to do, the kind of people I wanted to work with. And and from there, they realized, okay, maybe, maybe she can do it and, and we will try to help her out with that as and, much as we could. And, and, and I'm
1: sure it's a pretty big deal for you your, for your professors going through all this because they're going to have to put some money behind the show. They're going to have to do yeah. the production of the show. Uh, they're going to have to put together producers to be able to put on. So, so take me, so, so you have these obstacles. Take us through kind of your, your, your story and the process because, so you're, you're trying to stay away from these stereotypes. Yeah. Um, you're, you're faced with wanting to do something new, breaking the mold, but it's difficult to do. Uh, you have a bunch of people telling you, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. And then you're also going to have to face producers that it may, you know, your school may say, well, we can't get this show actually to go because it's not good enough. So how do you write the sto- How do you proceed to write the story?
0: Um, when, it, when it comes to like story writing, especially with playwriting, the thing that I had to learn, because this was also my first go at, at writing a one act, um, I had written like short scenes before, and I've I've always liked writing, but I never thought of it as something I could pursue avidly uh, until I took like a playwriting class, and one of my teachers really saw some potential in my work and really encouraged me. And there's there's a lot of writers within um, our fa- my family, and I I really felt was like okay I'll try it. And so first um, sitting down with one of the the professors right now, he's like the he's he's the head of my department. Um, for the time being, we have a head who's right now on sabbatical, but he's a playwright, and he's been a playwright throughout the entire area of the Northeast, and very successful. And he sits down with me, and he says, okay, we're, I'm going to teach you how to storyboard, and I'm going to teach you how to go about all of this. I knew the kind of research I wanted to do, so I did, I did all kinds of research with um, the, the effects of the drug cartel within the area, um, and how, and how literally they would infiltrate big, like, big gatherings and spaces of people in an effort to keep fear and to keep those things going um, in this area. And so through all all that research, I had, I have a binder with over 200 articles of of stuff that and different it's different portrayals of certain stories like the El Paso times would cover something and BBC would cover it and CNN would cover it so I would look at all three articles and see the different variations and interpretations of the issue Mm -hmm. and then find the most poignant part so I took all these stories and with um with with uh, Seth that's his name Seth Bauer he uh was uh, able to help me sit down and okay how are we going to storyboard this but I think the greatest help was that I proposed to work with a development team collaboratively. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we um, I, I proposed to my my professors to allow me to take from the pool of uncast students, which you know there's always going to be a pool of uncast students, and um, allow me to work with them for a semester. So out of the, that pool of uncast wow. students, I I picked some of the students that I had worked with in class that I thought were incredibly bright and incredibly smart and obviously very talented. They wouldn't be sharing that classroom with me if they weren't so we, we I picked five of them and also uh, my best friend who's in incredi- who has an incredible keen eye and the greatest thing about this is that it's a huge collaborative effort to develop anything mm-hmm. you have to trust them and you have to make sure that that they have a clear idea of what the story is because even because they're not from this area they're all like they're they're all natives to the Northeast um, they, it was me, a lot of, a lot of teaching them what it was, what the issue was, and then having them interpret it as an objective eye. So with them, um, with, with all of them, we were able to develop this piece and it took us from, I, we started writing, we started writing in October and now mind you, I'm, I i do not know anything about developmental theater. This is my first go at it. And, um,
1: things, yeah, you did quite well yeah. at it, with a lot of great reviews, <laughs>
0: um, but uh, this, like the, a lot of things started to almost fall apart at the seams because I didn't know how to execute things very well. So it was like trial and error, trial and error and it got to the point where the semester got very heavy and obviously we're all students as well. And so <laughs> you're my trying to put
1: on a show. I, and trying to
0: put on a show and trying to well to develop school. a show, go to school, go to work, do all of that. Like literally our days are from 8 to 12, mm-hmm. 8 in the morning to 12 a.m. That's a
1: cool yeah, schedule.
0: Yeah, it's and that's Monday through Sunday, but we do it because we love it. So with them um, as the semester got heavier they they couldn't commit to everyday rehearsals which weren't rehearsals they were more like developmental hours where we would get together from 7 to 11 and, and voice our opinions about a particular article and what was important but
1: how did the story end up like what, what was the because because uh, you know we could we could stay here for hours discussing all this and, and going and around, I wish we yeah. could no 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 I wish we could it's but how, how, after all this collaboration where did the story end up what was take us through a synopsis of the story without spoiling some because they I am, from what I understand there may be a possibility for all past to be able to see it soon enough Hopefully. but um, take me through a synopsis of of what this collaborative team that that you were the chief playwright you were the playwright mm-hmm. um, came up with what did you eventually come up with
0: okay well ideally from all of the stories from all the articles we wanted to choose the most poignant characters, which are the people that that we really wanted to tell their stories. But for first and foremost, beside all of that, I wanted to personify the desert. I wanted the desert to be a character on stage because it is so much of this environment.
1: The desert was on stage.
0: Yes, like in, in wow. human form, it was a character. She was up there and I had to make her a female um, for a lot of reasons we could get into later. but. Uh, I wanted a desert character and then um, from there we chose which ones were the most important. So we had um, an abuelita character who um, she just, she was supposed to be the representation of everything that used to exist and how it was and holding on to the positives and the culture and all of that and loving life and then there, there was a teacher who, that, that's the younger sister, so we have mm-hmm. a teacher character who, like all the teachers in Acapulco and, and Juarez alike, have been extorted for their paychecks and all of that and wanting to tell their story. Yeah. And then I had an older sister who uh, had a fiancé that was part of the police force who goes missing. So yeah. that's how the story kind of ended up unraveling and through a lot of tears and a lot of freaking out. But um,
1: There's a character in the show that really caught my eye because you were trying to from what i gathered uh, try to put a lot of things into one character ponches uh, you you, you talk, yeah, and it's it's kind of an interesting name but talk to me a little bit about this character and what made you come up with it because i, I think it had such an important role in this in this concept that you you developed
0: yeah um Bonchis actually ends up ends up being the represent the representative character of the entire issue and of the heart of the play um, which was completely unexpected because for the longest time he was my side character. I could not develop him for the life of me. I would get stuck, um, but he he comes he comes from like a line of. Of real of real articles based on a particular person, um, a 14 year old in Juarez who, or in, in Mexico who ended up getting caught into the the ring of the cartels because it's easier for them to make an outreach to younger students or not students but younger kids because their their judicial system doesn't particularly punish them the same way. So I thought that that story was incredibly interesting because what it does is it cultivates the vicious circle of violence by by reaching out to the younger to to younger kids. So. Um, I wanted to tell this story but the thing is, is as soon as you put up someone who's a thug no one's going to be interested so we we had to we had to give him an evolutionary story mm-hmm. um, to see and the the biggest thing I wanted to show on stage is to show how he evolved as a person and why he evolved into this person Bonchies was a kid on the street poor but you know the the kids on the street especially like one of the fondest memories I have they're some of the happiest people you will ever encounter. Mm-hmm. And so for, hi- for me to have him um, be that story for me and, in, and how it ends was something that allowed me to epitomize what I had been feeling and what I what I know that people in this area have been dealing with for a very long time now. And so he's been that character for me.
1: So you're at a point where you're representing your community now uh, on an international or national stage. You're, you're talking about an issue that's so near and dear to all of us because we don't want to be known as just the city or the community that, that is dealing with all these problems, right. uh, but yet has it all their, yes, those problems exist, but yet has another side to it. I think, I think your show presents something very neat. Um, and I know that, that you received a lot of commentary about the show um, to the point where there's talk about putting it on film, and one of your friends is ha- helping you develop that and then there's the talk about bringing it to Washington DC, maybe even having it travel to places like El Paso. Will El Pasoans and other people get a chance to see your work? And, and what are your hopes with that?
0: I, I really hope so. I think, I think the most riveting part about this entire process was having my peers come up to me and tell me, Adri, you have to keep telling the story. This is why we do theater. We do theater as, as a means to tell a story for other people to understand, to relate to. And the greatest thing is all these people um, that came and saw the show, a lot of them weren't from this area, probably have never been here, but they related to the characters on stage. And I, I hope to bring this story around to different theaters and, and to keep telling it.
1: Well, uh, I want to say, Adriana, that, that you know I, I can't say enough that this is the kind of thing we need more of. And folks, we talk about this in our show all the time. The fact that there's these issues that are changing America. Remember the name, Adriana Lopez Villarreal, and the show is called Vivir Mejor, representing our community on an international stage with a show that may come here soon to the El Paso area. You can find out more and see Adriana in her next show, The House of Bernarda Alba, which will take place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and you can find out more information uh, on the internet if you just look up theater shows in Philadelphia and look up the House of Bernarda Alba. Folks, it's been a pleasure to have you all tonight. And for all of us here at Fronteras, have a good evening. We'll see you next time.